you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Why, well, this is the program for finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. Hey, it's not a compromise. You can have it all. You really can. You know, so often we're taught that if you choose this, you can't have that. Well, why can't you? Why can't you have chocolate cake and pizza at the same time if you want to? Well, we don't want things that are detrimental to us. But in terms of having work that's fulfilling and profitable, yes, it's possible. Certainly it is. Don't ever think that the closer you get to work that you love, the less money you're going to make. I mean, the the antithesis of that would be if you really want to make a lot of money, then find something you absolutely hate. Well, we're smart enough to realize that doesn't work. That's counterintuitive. You can't release your best self, your best skills, your best talents. If you're doing something that you hate, no. So it's a whole lot easier to make money doing something that you love. So let's find things or create things that put you in that category. And you'll be surprised at how money shows up unexpectedly. Well, we spend each week, we take 48 minutes right here to examine the value of our work, knowing that work is more than just an exchange of time for a paycheck. Yeah, it's our best opportunity to live out our calling, to be involved in whatever we want to do in ministry and to leave the legacy behind that we want to believe that we want to leave as well as at the same time, providing faithfully for our families, providing more than we need so we can share those blessings with others. Well, here's some of the things we're going to be covering today. Dan, I'd like to be more independent, but don't want to fail since I have a family and am sole provider. Do you think creativity can be cultured by deliberate practice or is this just how God made me? Dan, I'm thinking about buying an established consignment shop. Is that it's a good idea? Am I wrong to steer this boat away from the monotony of the swamp? Love the visual pictures that you all give in <clears throat> giving a description of the work that you're currently in. Somebody says, Dan, I'm 60 years old, ready for a change in careers, but I'm afraid there will be no job for me. How about this one? Dan, if you feel you may be fired, is it better to be fired and collect unemployment or to quit your job before being fired? Well, we got a lot of interesting things to cover, those and more. Let's get right into them. I got a quotation for us today. This comes out of Proverbs 29:18, a familiar quotation for all of us, where we read, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, I know that's familiar and it's been used in so many different settings. Dave Ramsey says that whenever he hears that verse, he knows the church is getting ready to build a new building where there's no vision that people perish. That's how it's used a lot of times there. But you know, it says where there's no vision, the people perish. It doesn't say where there's no money, where there's no talent, where there's no degrees, where there's no lucky breaks. No, where there's no vision. So even if you have some of those things, even if you have a little money, you got the right degrees, you got a, a great job. If you have no vision, you're putting yourself on a dead end street. That simply means, where are you going? Can you see where you want to be three years from now? And here's 
what happens? The more you're able to see where you want to be three, five, ten years from now, the easier it is to discover the how. Easier it is to find ways that put you on the path to be there. But obviously, if you can't see that in advance, then you tend to just repeat more of what you're already doing. So where there's no vision, we know that's true. The people perish. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I had a, a podcast that was just dedicated to the idea of failure. How do we deal with failure? Why is it that sometimes people go through horrendous situations, experiences, and they bounce right back and others who seemingly had it all together hit a bump in the road, and they just stay down. That's still a question that intrigues me, and it's still something that I'm spending a lot of time researching. As I work with people who were once on top of the heap, and now they had some kind of a bump in the road, and they seemingly get stuck at the bottom. Working on some theories for what's required there, but I just want to address a couple things here. One, I got a message here. From This is Mike in Australia who has a question related to that podcast on failure. I want to address just that at the beginning here and then we'll go on to other questions. Hi Dan, this is Mike here in a very hot Adelaide day here in South Australia. I'm thrilled that you're taking on the subject of failure in this podcast. And my question to you is as we look at our past failings, I know that every time I look at my bank statement, there's a constant reminder there for me of my mistakes. How do we reframe our history? and turn them into a, turn our errors into a more positive experience so we can take bold steps into our future and not be timid about our past actions. Thanks, Dan, for all you do. I know that your podcast um, has certainly helped me in my most darkest moments of my life, and I thank you once again for that. All right. Hey, great question from Mike. And he said, how do we reframe those failures in our lives so that we can go on Hold our head high, go on with confidence. Well, a part of it is just doing that, Mike. It is simply reframing what other people may see as a failure. You know, when I went through a horrendous business experience, you know, lost everything that we had financially, IRS standing at my door at 530 in the morning, I could have just stopped there. It was a tremendous failure, but I decided I wasn't going to stop there. I was going to jump back in the game. I was going to do things to get us back on top again. And I did. And now in retrospect, having a few years in between in which to evaluate that experience, I don't think I could be where I am today had I not gone through that because of the learning that came with that. So I think that that's how I frame anything that other people may see as a failure in what I do. I immediately start looking, what is the learning here? What can I learn from this that's going to make me more successful in the future than what I could have possibly been without this experience? So just reframing it helps a lot. I mean, if you see, I had a young couple one time who had twice sent over $10,000 to these companies that tell you they're going to take your invention and make you a millionaire. You know, so they had a little idea. It was like a little plastic folder to put your check stubs in. I mean, it was something, it was really a nothing kind of idea. And they realized it at the time. Now, in retrospect, they realize it at least. But they sent it in and the company says, oh, this is the greatest thing since peanut butter. My gosh, we're going to make you a millionaire with this idea. We've already got companies inquiring about this. Well, all it is is just bait to get you to send more money. They say, well, we really need to to trademark this or to get a patent on this. So send us another $5,000. We'll do that. Well, we really need to do a market research 
plan here on this in order to really get in the game. So send us another $3,500. Well, that's what these companies do. And they had done that twice. So over $20,000 they had put into that. They were embarrassed, humiliated. And I said, you know what? There are kids right down the street from where I live here in Franklin, Tennessee, who are going to Vanderbilt University or Belmont University, they're paying $30,000 a year to get some learning experiences that they hope help them a little bit a few years down the road. That's exactly what you've done. You've paid $20,000 as part of your education. Just frame it as such. See it as part of your education. Hold your head high and go on. And that's what they were able to do. They really did do that and got past that, went on to some other very successful kind of things. So a lot of it comes from that. Now, another thing, and, and I, I just touched on it a little bit when I did the podcast on failure. And incidentally, that was the one that was put up on February 8th. It's titled Dear Mighty Things, but it deals in its entirety with failure. To come back from failure, and this is what I've been working on more and more, when I see somebody that's gone through a job loss, a business disaster, personal relationship disaster, or whatever, why do they get stuck? Here's what I'm seeing more and more they need. And of course, these are just foundational pieces that will help fuel success for any of us. But there are five things that I see people really need. Lacking any of those starts to make a weaker platform from which to move ahead. Number one, supportive relationships. Number two, uncompromising integrity. Number three, clear purpose. Number four, vibrant health. And number five, optimistic faith. Now, we all may have challenges in one of those areas, but if you, if you have, I think you need the majority of those in place to move forward successfully. If all of those are on shaky ground, I think it's really impossible. And I see more and more when people get stuck at the bottom, they've destroyed relationships. They've compromised their integrity. They don't have a clear purpose. A lot of times they've done things to compromise their health. They don't really have a faith that gives them a clear vision for where they're going. And and thus they get stuck, even if they were successfully financially at one point. Well, let me move on. Paul from Little Rock says, I've been listening to your podcast for several months, find them very inspirational. I'm a software developer and enjoy what I do. However, after listening to your podcast, I've been contemplating what I want to do in the future. I've thought about going back to get my MBA to increase my business acumen since my undergraduate is a BS in computer science. Now, this is the sentence, and I'm just going to stop with this sentence. I think eventually I would like to be an independent developer or consultant, but I don't want to fail since I have a family and I'm the sole provider. Well, Paul, I mean, that's, that can be a roadblock that can stop you from ever trying things that would put you in a position of being an independent developer or consultant. If those things appear to you to have risk with any possibility of failure, you may never do those at all. And thus you could continue working in a position you know, where you're doing well and obviously, you know, things are going okay. Again, nothing wrong with that. But when we look at, when we talk to people who are in their 70s and 80s and 90s and ask them what is their biggest regret, their biggest regret is I wish I'd had the courage to live a life authentic to myself rather than living out the expectations of others. So a lot of people in their later years realize, you know, I just took the safe route. 
I just did what was predictable and responsible and practical and realistic. Yes, all those things. But I never stepped out. I never did those things that would have really released my best self. And when we talk about failure, when I have, I'm sitting in a seat where I hear lots of stories about people evaluating what they've done up to this point and what they hope to do for the future. But I'll tell you what, not living a life that releases your best gifts and talents could be the biggest failure of all. So again, we need to reframe failure. And if you are going to start a business where you have a hundred percent guarantee that you won't fail, there is not such a thing. But we also have to be realistic about what do we do instead of that? So instead of starting my own business, instead of doing something on my own, I'm going to keep the same job that I have so that I never risk failure. Oh, really? What about the 3,200 people that were working at the Saturn plant just south of me here? They thought they were in secure, guaranteed, absolute lockdown jobs. Nothing would ever change. They thought they were in a business that was too big to fail. No matter what happened, somebody would step in and salvage it, whether it's the government or Roger Penske, others. They thought it was, it would never change. Well, they found out that was not true. Their sense of security was an illusion. There was no security. They were just getting a paycheck every week, but that stopped and that stopped. So when we want something that has a hundred percent guaranteed success, I don't know where that is, but here's how we can reframe how we even see that in Thomas Stanley's book, the millionaire mind, he looked at how this is viewed by people who end up extremely wealthy. So he was interviewing people who were decamillionaires, people who are worth at least $10 million. And so they look at this idea of risk and failure to them. Now, let me take the average guy on the street out here. The average guy on the street says, wow, I'm going to just keep this job that I've got because there's no risk. If I go out here and I start mowing yards, my gosh, that's risky. You know what decamillionaires say about that same scenario? They see it in exactly the reverse. They see showing up on Monday morning for a job where one person can put you on the street before the clock hits 12 o'clock noon. They see that as very risky. They see if you go out here and start a little lawn mowing service or you start a, a hot dog stand and you've got 376 people that come by every day and buy your hot dogs, you have to have 376 people decide not to use you anymore to put you out of business. Not one. They see that as having much more security than having a traditional job where one person can put you on the street. Now I know I've generalized a little bit in there, but we have to be realistic about how we look at these things that some people call risk. And some people realize the risk was in trying to do the predictable safe thing rather than doing something that is more authentic and maybe a little more non-traditional. Well, Mike says, Dan, I've heard people like you and Dave Ramsey talk about how you have ideas all the time. Even if they aren't very good, you have a lot of them. I'm not creative like that. I don't have that many ideas. I said as one of my goals this year to take an hour each week to just brainstorm thinking I just needed some practice, but I haven't come up with much in the meantime. Now this is a really interesting positioning here that Mike 
has in his question. In the meantime, I'm reminded of an Andy Stanley quotation where he said he released his fully exploited strengths where he realized his fully exploited strengths were a far greater value to our organization than my marginally improved weaknesses. What do you think about that? Do you think creativity can be cultured by deliberate practice or is this just how God made me and I should be spending my time on something else? Now there's two parts to my answer here, Mike. That's a great question. I love your question. Do I think that you can cultivate creativity? Absolutely. There are so many easy ways to do that. I mean, if you read something you haven't read before, if you go somewhere you haven't gone before, if you drive a different way home from work, you know, go for a walk with your granddaughter through the woods. I mean, there are lots of things you can do that will, in fact, stimulate your creativity. And a lot of times I think if we just get our receptors antenna up, we'll start to see new ideas that we otherwise would have missed because we just get so used to the status quo, the sameness and predictability of our lives. But just, I mean, Joanna and I just got back from three weeks of being gone. We went to Miami. I spoke at a real estate convention there. We did some other things, hung out there. Then we went on a cruise with an amazing group of people on our Wisdom to Meet Passion cruise, went to new places, met new people that we had never met before, came back. We decided it was too cold in Tennessee. We were going to just stay in Florida. So we spent another week, went over to the western side of Florida and stayed right on the water and rode bikes to lunch. Did Now, do you think that I could have spent those three weeks and not come back with a hundred new ideas? I mean, there's just no way. I mean, I, I met new people, saw new things, ate new foods, traveled on different things that I had never traveled on. I mean, just lots of things that I'd done. I mean, I... I sang karaoke that I had never done before. Did, did, um, you ain't nothing but a hound dog by Elvis. Maybe sometime I'll share that here, <laughs> but how could I have done those things without having it stimulate a whole lot of new ideas? So I think there are things that you can do. And I think that's a healthy experience for anybody to do that. So if you want to nurture, you know, kindness, respect, thoughtfulness, consideration, remembering people's names. I mean, there are a lot of things where we want to just practice doing them better. Absolutely. You want to do those. However, let me say now the other side of the equation, because I think a lot of people spend time trying to develop their weaknesses and end up being mediocre in a lot of things rather than being really good in one or two areas. So yes, I think that you ought to work where you're strongest. I've got this in No More Mondays. It's in No More Dreaded Mondays. Work where you're strongest 80% of the time. Work where you're learning 15% of the time. And work where you're weak 5% of the time. Let me give you an example of that. I am a novice when it comes to internet details or with technology, IT. Yet we use cutting edge technology to drive the success of our business at 48 days. How do I do that? Do I learn HTML? Do I learn web design? Not a chance. I engage the services and skills and talents of those people who are experts in those arenas. I hate the details of accounting and financial management. So I have a CPA and a bookkeeper that handle those areas efficiently. They create simple reports I can understand. I am going to spend my 80% of the time in the areas where I'm strongest. So I'm not going to 
redirect in that way where I just, in my business, I spend major amounts of time in my weakest areas. No, I'm going to go where I am absolutely the strongest already and spend most of my time there. 80% of my strongest areas work where I'm learning 15% of the time, work in my weak areas 5% of the time. That's the formula that I use. And I really intentionally use that formula. However, when it comes to some of the other areas, I need a better way to kind of categorize what you're asking because when it comes to nurturing creativity, imagination, dreaming, yes, I think that's something we all can do. Absolutely. Claire from Lexington, Virginia says, I'm thinking about buying an established consignment shop. Is this a good idea? Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think, um, okay, let me go here. What are the pros and cons of buying an established consignment shop. Well, I love the idea of a consignment shop because you have zero cost of inventory. When you think about that, if you have a clothing store, you may have a hundred thousand dollars tied up in inventory. That's a major, major investment, a major cost before you ever start making profit with consignment. You have no cost, no risk. What's the worst that could happen? It doesn't sell. And you give it back to the person who consigned it to you or give it away if they've given you the, the right to do that. So, I, yeah, I love the idea, the business model of a consignment shop. Now, it comes with some accounting nightmares because you have to keep track of every single piece and how much you sold it for and how much the consigner is going to get. Now, there are options to that. I mean, if you have a thrift store, you may have things that people just donate. If you have a worthy cause that you're giving part of the profits to, people will donate. And there you don't have to do all the tracking and paying people a dollar because you sold a pair of jeans for $2. So there's that as well. But yeah, I like a consignment shop. I mean, just be careful that it's a good fit for you, that it's in an area where there's good traffic. I mean, it's a very common model. I mean, being down in Florida as we were, I mean, I was blown away at the at the number of consignment shops. I mean, you can find anything that you want. I mean, there's a couple that we love to visit down in Nokomis Beach, Florida, just north of Venice, Florida, south of Sarasota in there. One is called Divine Consign. It's run by a conglomeration of churches, primarily Catholic, but they have amazing pieces. We've bought stained glass pieces there. I have two chairs in my office that I absolutely love, and they were originally pulpit chairs. So you can see that they were on a platform. They're, they have very ornate wood carving on them. They have fabric is like tapestry. I mean, these are not ordinary chairs, and I got them in a consignment shop. I mean, I don't know where I could have purchased them brand new. I, I like consignment, but again, there's a whole lot of them there, and I would be cautious about the area. Be re reasonable about the competition that you have. Just do your deal, do, due diligence just as you would in any other business. If you're going to open a ice cream shop in Franklin, Tennessee, you need to know that there's a Sweet CC's here, Ben & Jerry's, Baskin Robbins. So you need to know what already is happening there, how those businesses are doing. Okay, Becky says, Dan, I went out of my job desperately. I've been reading your book, 48 Days, to find out how to change my thinking and process. My question is, how can I still provide for my family and pay my bills but get out of my job in the next four or five months? I need to get out before I sign a contract in the next few months. This is a soul-sucking job that I don't enjoy. 
don't know what to transition into because my degrees don't allow for a lot of options except the same kind of work I'm doing now. I don't want to just quit and I can't since I'm the only person working in my family. I feel as if I have to, I feel if I have to return to my job another day, let alone another year, I don't think I'll make it. Please help. Well, Becky, you say that you don't know what else you'd be a candidate for. So the first thing you need to do is create a clear focus. So take a fresh look at you. 85% of the process of having the confidence of going in a proper direction comes from looking at yourself. Look at what you already know about yourself. What are your skills and abilities? What are your personality traits? Meaning, what kind of environments are you most comfortable in? How do you relate to other people? How do you manage, persuade, sell? You need to know those. So we got three areas, skills and abilities, personality traits, and then number three, what I call values, dreams, and passions. What are those things that keep recurring? Oh, it's when I'm working on this that I really seem to come alive. Or it's when I'm working on ideas, not around people, that I seem to function best. You got to know those things about yourself. So having some job experience, as you obviously do, ought to give you some clarity. Take time to look at yourself so you have to have a clear focus. You don't want to just quit or continue what you're doing until things deteriorate to the point that you get fired and put you in a position of desperation. No, keep yourself in the driver's seat by taking the initiative now. What am I a candidate for? Can you get another position in four or five months? Absolutely. Obviously, I believe that's possible to do in 48 days. Go to 48 days, go through that process again. You can do that even while you're working and have a new opportunity. But take the initiative to do that immediately. Don't wait. When you describe what you're describing, you're feeling about your work being soul-sucking, you don't enjoy it. Now, you need to create an exit plan and do it immediately. Rebecca from Littleton, Colorado says, I've been pondering the Rich Man, Poor Man podcast. Did that a few weeks back where I talked about how rich people think differently than poor people. And uh, Rebecca says, after being married for nearly 16 years, it had never occurred to me that my husband and I think differently about being rich. I feel like anything's possible. He's more downtrodden about everything. I've owned my own job for seven years and I'm not making much. My husband has been in a steady J-O-B for over 20 years and he's not even 40 years old yet. Although he mostly pays the bills, we're still in debt and treading water after starting the Ramsey plan six plus years ago. I want to get a job that will pay me incredibly well so we can move on. I want to provide well for our family. I want more than what we have now. I want debt freedom and peace of mind questions am i wrong to try to steer this boat away from the monotony of the swamp <laughs> thank you dan hugs well thanks for your question becky no you're not wrong for wanting to steer your boat out of the swamp but you need the co-pilot of that swamp buggy to be on board with you it's pretty hard to go in a different direction than your co-pilot you need to be on the same page now dave talks about that in his material about finances. And if you guys are in a Ramsey plan, you're well aware of that. You need to be in agreement, but you can be the inspirational leader in your family for saying, we want more. We aren't going to settle for this. You know, a lot of times I see people settling in for less than good, certainly not great, thinking they're being responsible, even while they're working on a Dave Ramsey financial plan, as an example. So, oh, if we just do this for 13 more years, you know, eat beans and rice, rice and beans, then we'll be able to live like no one else. Well, I hope you can, but 
how can you accelerate the process? What if you could figure out a way to do that in three years rather than 13? Wouldn't that be a cool thing? And I see people just get kind of stuck into you know, saving five cents a week against the mountain of debt, you know, knowing that when they're 85 years old, they're going to be debt free. And I'm thinking, my gosh, I mean, I, I'm, I support the, the plan, but not the timeline. If you are doing something, you know, get a bigger shovel in Ramsey terms, get something that gives you a bigger shovel. If you have the potential to get a job or start your own business that would triple your income, can you get out of debt faster? Yeah. Why would you just stay plodding along, waiting until everything is perfectly taken care of until you make any change? No, I'm not even sure that's responsible sometimes. So yeah, take the initiative to find something that would get you out of debt quicker, that would give your family more and allow you to bless others. Great plan. If you need to be the motivational leader in your family and cheerleader, do it. I commend you on doing it. Garrett from Washington says, Dan, I feel like a kid at Christmas every time you release a new podcast. You've been a great encouragement to me since I decided to make the plunge into being a real estate agent this last year. Getting started in real estate, things have been slow for me, leaving me always thinking of potential business ideas to help supplement my income. I have a background in video production and recently started producing videos for realtors to showcase their listings. Right now I'm offering the service for a flat price, but I'm wondering if I should have the price of the video reflect the price of the home. I'm probably going to put more time into a video of a million dollar home versus a $200,000 home and advice would be appreciated. Thanks. Here's a link to a video. Well, Garrett, I did go to look at your video. Very cool. Love the way it's done. Boy, that, I mean, that's not just a, here's a quick shot and a panoramic view of the house. You, you had the guy walk through, describe it upstairs, downstairs, music background, the whole thing. Here's what I would recommend. I, I, w I don't think that you should tie the price of the video to the price of the house. I think that you'll get some pushback on that. Um, as people think that you're just artificially trying to tie your profits to a larger potential commission that they're going to get. And that's a realistic pushback. But what I would do is give them a variety of menu options from which to choose. So you can have just a silent video. Boom. You go out and do that yourself. Or you can have a video that has narration provided by the listing realtor like the one that you link to. You can have background music to enhance the video, your roll-ins of the listing company, links to other comparable listings by that realtor and so on. But just make a short menu so they can choose. You know, this one's going to be $350, but if you want to add music, it's another 75. If you want to do your own narration, it's another, you know, 200, whatever that is. But so they can choose. But that will help you accomplish what you want to accomplish. It compensates you for things that require more of your time, but it's done in a way where they're choosing that and you don't feel like you're being pushed into a more complicated process. But here's the deal. See, if, if I'm buying a new Porsche, I might choose a very simple sound system. So I I'll just give me the $500 sound system because I've got my, my iPhone with me. You know, I've got music on there, my earbuds. I'm going to listen to whatever I want to listen to. I don't really care about the radio anyway. All I want is the navigation system. Just give me the $500 sound system on my new Porsche. 
But I may be buying a Ford Focus for my daughter to drive back and forth to college. And I know that music quality is really important to her. I may select a $2,000 sound system for that car. So the stereo selected is not tied to the value of the car, but by the buyer's choice. And I think you ought to do the same thing. Let the buyer of your video choose what they want. Don't you try to artificially force it based on the value of the home, but let them choose from a menu. If they want a really fancy video for a very inexpensive home, that's fine. That's cool. You get compensated for that. If somebody wants a very simple one for a more expensive home, hey, that's okay too. Great question. Great, great business that certainly does complement your own work in real estate. I love those kind of ideas where you, you see opportunities within what you're already doing that will enhance what you're doing, how you're being compensated, and it leverages the knowledge and exposure contacts that you already have. Jan from Washington says, I'm 60 years old. I've been an elementary school teacher for 36 years. I'm ready for a change in careers, but I'm afraid that there will be no job for me. My current situation is causing extreme stress and dissatisfaction. I'm exhausted all the time. I have no energy for my husband or home. I also have migraines and panic attacks. I desperately need a change. Any advice would be appreciated. My goodness, Jan, listening to your question makes me think of this song. All right, give me a chance to grab a drink there quick too. Now, obviously, you've been working hard for your money a long time. I hear from a lot of teachers. Your question is very representative of, of what we hear from a lot of teachers. It's too hard. It's stressful. It's not what I signed up for. Has teaching changed over 36 years that you've been involved as a teacher? My goodness, I guess so. I mean, you used to walk into a classroom and the kids were respectful and sat in their chairs. The parents were supportive and respectful. Golly, when I was in school, if I got a whipping in school, my biggest concern was not the whipping I just got. It was the one I was going to get when I got home that was going to be worse yet to support what the school had done. Is that true today? Uh, No, that doesn't seem to be the case. You pat somebody on the hand and you're going to have mommy or daddy screaming in your face that you're abusing their kid. Well, we won't go into all those details. Are there things you can do that would leverage your competence as a teacher? Yes. Yes and yes. That's what I want you to look at. When you say that you're afraid there will be no job for you, it's not clear what you would be looking for. And of course, that needs to be clear. What would you be a candidate for if you do discontinue being a classroom teacher? Are those same skills valued in other environments? Yes, So you don't have to go back and start over. Well, now you go out into the workplace and you're going to totally negate your teaching ability and just you have nothing to offer. No, don't do that. You could teach in a business environment. I mean, there are corporations that love the work ethic responsibility and teaching training skills of somebody who's been in a classroom. They need new material taught. I mean, take a company like, golly, who's going to, well, let's take a company like Dell. They're going to have thousands of people in customer service 
Do they have training programs to take those people through to make them competent on the phone? Certainly. Do they need people to teach those training programs? Absolutely. So those kind of things. You could teach in a private school where the classroom dynamics are going to be a lot different. I mean, right here in the Nashville area, I mean, we've got like 60 or 70 private schools in addition to all the others. And then we got homeschool kids, classical school kids. You could maybe teach two or three selected courses where you're only teaching two or three days a week to homeschoolers. So it's not like you got the same kids all day long. You're seeing different kids, but you're teaching just particular classes to kids that are in a different kind of learning environment anyway. You could do tutoring, obviously. You could facilitate online instruction. You could create instructional materials in one of your areas of expertise. You could do a once a month workshop for teachers or a once a month workshop for parents to help them understand how to best help their kids in a classroom environment. There are a lot of different things that you could do to leverage what it is that you have been doing. If you take, you know, I've got a lady I'm working with right now. She's a dentist and she's a really unique individual. Her daddy was a dentist. So, you know, just one of the generational expectations. She's a dentist and she decided, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. But what she really loves doing is storytelling. However, her storytelling creates loyalty from her clients like I've never seen in my life. I mean, people drive 200 miles to come back to her because of the connection they have with her. What I'm helping her do is framing her unique ability at storytelling to make her a consultant for other dentists to teach them the power of developing relationships with their clients. Now, just this is really quick, but a lot of dentists are great clinicians. So you walk in, they immediately put you in the chair, tell you to open your mouth. That's it. Those people sometimes, even while they are great technicians and clinicians, customers are unhappy with them. They complain about the work they did. They're not loyal. They go somewhere else because the dentist did not take the time to develop rapport and trust, which as we know is a very important ingredient in a selling process. So it doesn't matter how good you are. People don't trust you. They're not going to buy from you or stay connected to you. This dentist is great at doing that. So it's one area of competence that she had really overlooked that she's using in her current business. And I'm saying rather than just walking away from it, let's leverage that one unique area of competence and make her the go-to person to teach other dentists to do what she's done so effectively. Look for those kind of things in your teaching, what you could do that has that same kind of unique value. Okay. Um, well, let me just, uh, let me just not use the name. Let's just say Susie says, I've been encouraged by listening to your podcast and love your optimism. Thank you for using your gifts and talents to serve God and bless others. My question is, if you feel you may be fired, is it better to be fired and collect unemployment or to quit your job before being fired? I'm currently at a job that has been retaliating against me since I reported a sexual harassment incident. I really would like to avoid any legal issues as much as possible and leave this job. But the handwriting is on the wall. They're most definitely desiring to usher me out. I was recently written up because I confronted someone regarding an honesty issue and my supervisor said, I'm not allowed to do that. Integrity is my own personal value and it's not something that should be imposed on the company or its employees. 
I'm currently reading 48 Days and praying that I can enter into a better and more satisfying work environment where honesty is at its cornerstone. I'm desiring to switch careers and discover my passion, but I don't have anything lined up at this time. So the question is, the writing's on the wall. They want her out. They don't want to have legal issues. She doesn't want to have legal issues. Is it better to quit and just go on? Or is it better to wait until they fire her and then collect unemployment? Well, the real key here, Lacey, is this is your life we're talking about. We're not talking about what's best for the company. We're talking about your life and you want to stay in the driver's seat. You want to create a plan of action that allows you to create your own transition. So I would say you need to do a job search. Now you need to know what your focus is going to be. And when you say that you're not sure where you're going to go, you need to do that first. You need to go through 48 days, make sure that you know clearly what your focus is, who target audiences, who target companies are going to be for those unique skills that you have, and then start that job search. But do that, do that pronto. If you get an amazing job offer and they say, we want you to start two weeks from now, boom, give your notice, quit your job and make that transition. Don't worry about collecting unemployment because you got a new job. I mean, that's the ideal. Get out of this rat hole that you're in and get into a job that you really love with a corporate culture that supports integrity and character, the things that seem to be lacking where you are now. So do that. Do a job search into a new job. Yeah, that's the ideal. Don't let things just deteriorate until you get fired because then you can collect unemployment. Don't anticipate a downtime in between anticipate going from this ridiculous job into one that's fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable, just like we lay out. John says, uh, Dan, I listen to your podcast. Well, I listen to a lot of podcasts, at least eight hours a week. Often I'm asked what I'm listening to. When I answer the follow-up question is, what kind of podcast are you listening to? As I answer this question, Repeatedly, it occurs to me that none of the podcasts I listen to regularly have anything directly to do with my day job. I'm in an IT group at a large company, but the podcasts I listen to are not technical. They're not IT information technology topics, but instead focus on leadership, faith, entrepreneurship, muscle cars. I wonder if my list of podcasts is an indication of my passion or is it typical to spend outside work time on topics that are not work related? What do you think listeners? What should we tell John? Is this an indication that he needs to move away from his it work? No, I don't think it is at all. John, I I think not only is it typical to be drawn to podcasts that are outside your area of work, but I think it's healthy. I mean, we, we want, golly, we want people to be rounded and robust and balanced, and we could use all kinds of terms, but you know, nobody is interested in somebody who has such a narrow area of expertise and interest that Gee, three minutes of talking to them, a party, you're done. They don't have anything else to talk about. I mean, my goodness, if I'm going to relate to my grandkids and my neighbors who are involved in things totally different than what I'm doing work-wise, I need to be conversant. I need to be able to talk to them. So I read things. I listen to things. I go to events. I go to concerts and art shows that, that aren't directly related to my business, but you know, they're just part of being well-rounded. They're part of 
expanding your horizons. So I, I don't think there's any red flag there that, wow, since you aren't interested in just those things that are related to your work. Now, I listen to a lot of podcasts that are, I won't even describe some of them, but yeah, I, I also love things that have to do with cars. You know, one of my favorite radio shows is Car Talk on NPR, Car Talk, Click and Clack. I love those guys. Love listening to that show. Is that just a total waste of time or diversion? No. I mean, I, I love cars, so it's, it's easy for me to identify with them. You know, I, I watch, um, uh, what was I, what did I have on last night? American Pickers. Now, I watch very little TV, but sometimes at night I sit down and just want a, a brain dump. Sure, but on the TV, see what American Pickers. These guys go around the country and they stop at these out-of-the-way places and go through people's junk and they uncover an old mobile oil sign or an old gas pump. You know, I love that. I love watching that. Now, am I drawn to that? Do I think, ooh, I ought to be doing that instead of the work I'm doing? No, not at all. I have no desire to go do what they're doing and try to make a living. Matter of fact, I, I don't think they could make a living other than the fact that they have a TV show. I, I don't think they're making enough profit in the things they have to make a viable living. I sure wouldn't be content with that. And it's a very limited way to make money. But I love the show. I just love watching them go around and relate to people. I love the process of negotiating like they do. So, yeah, I'm drawn to that. So, no, embrace the idea that you are drawn to these other things that will give you some balance and a broader expertise. You'll be a more interesting guy, more fun guy to be around, more valuable to uh, your own company and ultimately those things will help you see new ways to be better at what you're doing in work anyway i mean we we get better not just by being real narrow in a subject topic but by seeing wow they did that over here i could use that in my business and it's a healthy way to increase your own level of success well a couple of things coming up here we, we've got a lot of excitement about this innovate event that we've got coming up here the end of March. Now, uh, uh, check it out. I mean, I, I heard from somebody yesterday who is in real estate, incidentally, and he's coming from Pennsylvania, but coming down, but he also wants to be more involved in music. And so he's coming to our Innovate event. This is the one that we used to just focus on writing, how to turn your writing into dollars. And we realized we were attracting people who have other creative skills. They're saying, golly, I'm an artist or I'm a musician or I'm a, um, magician we've got some magicians that are coming or i'm a speaker you know they're saying how can i get out here and get in the game so we've got this event coming up be delighted to have you check it out innovate just go to the live events under 48 days and you can check it out there or you can just go to innovate 2013 innovate2013.com take you right to the site and you're going to see that we've got speakers like michael hyatt will be here talking about how to find your voice people like chad jeffers who's a guitarist with carrie underwood he'll be here talking about how do you get to the top of the pack in music as he's done lee lentz is a, a magician he will be here my wife joanne and her good friend dorsey McHugh, artist they'll be talking about what do you do with art so you, you'll be blown away by some of the things that artists are doing right here locally and around the world of course but to expand what they're doing not only giving them new opportunities to express their art, but also interesting and exciting ways to generate income. Again, we're going to have a lot of focus on that. This is not just how to kind of get stick your toe in the water. This is about how to make extraordinary amounts of money using the very unique skills that you may happen to have. So that's Innovate. And of course, we've got Coaching with Excellence coming up. If you get my 
Got my newsletter, my blog. You'll see that I'm promoting some other events, the launch event that I'm going to do. That's a Michael Hyatt event down at Rome in Rome, Georgia on the Barry College campus, the Windshape Retreat, the Chick-fil-A Windshape Retreat that's coming up. I'm going to, uh, that's in April. Also in April, I'm going to a conference in Chicago called Internet Profits, where I'm, I'm committed to really ramping up some of the things we're doing in online business. I'm excited about that connecting with people who are superstars in that arena is going to be doing some things in that space as well well lots going on i trust that you're in the beginning of a very exciting year we're almost finished with this second month already seems unbelievable here we are two out of 12 in the can already i hope you're reaching the goals that you outlined for this year that you're still on track the accomplishment of those and that you are along with a lot of the rest of us here at 48 days and 48 days.net community where we are finding or creating work that is meaningful purposeful significant and profitable don't settle for less have a great week